Okay, let's try the book of Jude today. Find your way to verse 16. You can obviously see we're making very good progress now. We're in verse 16. I'm not going to say that we're only doing half the verse today. But we're getting there. This is an important text. It really is important. I'm not just doing this because it just feels good to cover a whole book or something like that. We're, we're not looking for a box to check and say we've done that. This is a very important section of God's Word, and I'm afraid it's being neglected in our world today, and it's important. In verse 16, it's just right in the middle of a whole bunch of other verses, and it says, These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. All right, Without the context, who knows what that would be all about. But we've been working on the context of these things, and we're going we're gonna to do that again today. Let's have a word of prayer, though, to start with. Heavenly Father, right now, uh, with just the tune and the words of that song we just heard, in our heart, we, we do remember you. We do remember what our Savior paid for us. And we are thankful, so very thankful, that you have sought us out and drawn us to yourself. May we not become complacent people. May this always be something that uh, we remember and remember well and live in light of that our Savior died on our behalf, that we might live in righteousness today. We are called to something bigger than ourselves because our Savior is so great and He's with us today. So thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And may our hearts always be, always be yours. Help us with our study here this morning as we go through this. It's not always the easiest parts of Scripture that are the ones that make the impact. And we pray that today as we submit to you that you will drive deeply within us the things that we need to know and do. For your glory, for your honor, And in that way, it's also a blessing to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we've been discussing the dangers of false teachers in this study, especially those that are referenced here in the book of Jude. Second Peter also covers this. By the way, in case you didn't know, we're covering Second Peter on Sunday night. And we're working our way through that book, too. We're very close to the end of chapter 2 and entering chapter 3 there. Uh, these messages all piled together are on, the, on our website. You can get a hold of them, and um, you can go through that. There's been over 30 messages already just on this topic. And uh, I don't apologize for the way I'm bringing this to you at all. Um, there are many churches that will not speak even one time to this topic in a course of a year or even in the course of a ministry. And yet there are many who are suffering in the midst of the dangers that we are talking about right now. Churches are experiencing this book like it was written today. They're going through these things. 
And I'm not being a nag, folks. <laughs> and I hope you don't think so. I'm just greatly concerned. I'm greatly concerned in, in the days that we are in and all the bad, evil communication that goes on around us. And our world is very good at stuffing a lot of things in our head. And many of those things could be easily said. They're contrary to the things of God. I just realized that uh, what's being taught right now to your future pastor could very well be a bunch of garbage. I'm warning about that. I'm concerned about that. Because that's where it is. It's in our Bible colleges. It's in the classrooms today. The things that Jude is warning us about. We live in dangerous times and, and we have to be warned about these things. Peter says, in Second Peter 3, he says, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts. And I want you to take this to heart because I believe all the indicators are out there right now to say that right now we are living in those last days. I believe that, that we are living in those last days. Now, I don't know how long that means, honestly. Last days could be longer than what I anticipate, but it could be today that the Lord comes for us too. I believe that with all my heart, and I wouldn't mind. Would you? I don't think so. It would be a great thing if the Lord should come for us now, but until he does, these days are not getting better. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. I want you and I want me to be strong in the Lord so we're not carried off by the destructive doctrines taught by these kind of people. I want us to protect and preserve this church. And it's very important that we do so that we can hand it over to our children and to our grandchildren and know that what we have left behind was faithful to the Lord. Don't you want that? I think so. And that's what we want to be. The reality is not, we're not going through this education on false teachers just solely for our own good or for our own guard, but so that we can pass this on. Unfortunately, folks, if we think it's hard today, it's going to be harder for them. How are we going to prepare them for that? I think this is a very important book in that regard. I, I like to think of Jude as the warning label on the church. It's there. And we're living in these days that Jude wrote about 2,000 years ago. Now, we're on the very verge in verse 17 of discussing what we are to do. And I've already given you a couple of simple thoughts about that as we've woven that into the sermons as we've gone. But the basic idea is that we need to be mature in Christ. There is no substitute for it. Never. Is there any way to compromise on this point? We need to be mature in our faith. We must pray more. We pray a lot, but we must pray more. We must stay close to our Lord. And we must roll up our sleeves, folks. There is work to be done. And that's what Jude is going to cover in the last handful of verses that we're getting to. Basically, we need to be strengthened so that we can strengthen others we have brothers and sisters who are in need. Are we ready for it? That's what Jude is going to prepare us for. And that's why I think it's so important that we walk through this. Um, if, if nothing else, 
these chapters or verses that we've dealt with, rather, from verse 4 all the way up to verse number 16, if that impressed you with the dangers that lurk around you, you're going to see why it's important. Why it's important. When I taught my children to drive, and I've got a couple sitting right here, they'll tell you what the first two or three lessons were all about. What was it? Stop. (laughs) That was it. They weren't allowed to touch any pedal but the brake pedal. Really. You take them out here on the country road, you just say, put it down in the lowest gear on the on the thing, L1 or L2 or whatever, that way, way down there. And I said, okay, you could take your foot off the brake, let the car roll. And then I'd say, stop! And they were supposed to stop. It was like that for three lessons. And that's all they ever, I said, that's all you're going to learn, how to stop. How to stop? It was roll, stop, roll, stop, roll, stop. If you ever looked out your window and saw us going by, thought, what are they doing? We almost ran over Nancy one day. She came out of her house. We're just whizzing around the driveway. you got to learn to use a brake pedal before you can use a gas pedal. Before you ever get the go, you have to learn how to stop. There's a reflex to that. And after a while, it becomes natural for us, doesn't it? You see a little critter coming across. What do you do automatically? It's going to be a long time for your license. You got to learn how to stop. Lesson four was go. We started with being able to move forward. Well, if you got that picture, then you can see what I'm doing with this book and what Jude is telling. We have to learn the hard part here, the things that stop us before we go. And the reason for that is because we shouldn't underestimate the value of the process. The way God wrote his word It's important that we know why we do what we do. I can just go to all those passages in Scripture and say, do this, do this, do this, do this. And we can make a whole list, like a list of Ten Commandments or Hundred Commandments or whatever you want. And all we do all day long is check off the box and say, I did it. Without ever knowing why, we just did it. And I don't want us to be ignorant of what what we're doing. This is danger written all over the page. And yet there's very, very many things for us yet to do. We've got to to get there. We are working through that, and we're right near to verse 16 today. That's good news. Uh, We're moving ahead real soon. We're going to make the transition. But I want you to notice how he does this. In verse 17, he suddenly goes, But you, beloved. And then in As he keeps moving on, verse number uh, 19, I believe it is. No, 20. But you, beloved, he's going to take you and set you in contrast to everything he said before. But you, beloved, here's the false teacher. This is what he does. This is how he acts. This is what he believes. This is the way he twists the, the truth and deceives people. Not you, beloved. Not you. Here's their traits and the behaviors and all these things you can identify them with. But not you, brother. Not you, beloved. And this is a picture that's coming your way. Don't let your traits match theirs. Don't let your behavior match theirs. 
I have preached this in a way that I hope that you see. You don't want to be anything that resembles verse 4 through verse 16. I didn't encourage you to act that way, did I? I hope not. I hope you came away with a disgust in your heart about what you've seen and heard. And if you felt that was a kind of a downer, I'm just simply saying, don't be a pupil of these teachers. Don't follow them. But you, beloved, are called to something better. And we're getting there. You're called to something else. So, it gets a little uncomfortable, I know. Verse 16 does too. They are grumblers. They are finding fault. They are following after their own lusts. They are speaking arrogantly. They are flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. About five items here that are rather full in terminology And we're going to walk through these things. I wish I could say that these things are not somehow evident in our own lives. (laughs) I really hope that we we could say, but the reality is grumbling is something that we've learned how to do too. Fault finding is something we've learned how to do too. It's easy to point the finger at them, but... When it comes back on us, these identifiable things, these little habits of the false teachers, it's, it's rather convicting to tell the truth. Jude says in this letter, uh, and as he's writing, he's describing these people, and it's almost as if he's growing in disdain toward them as he goes. <laughs> It's rather interesting to follow his little demonstrative pronouns here. And he kept going, these ones, like he says in verse number 12, these ones, and then verse number 8, these men, and he goes all the way back to verse number 4, actually, these certain people who have crept in unnoticed. He started there, and then it's almost like a contemptuous, uh, repeat of the same thing. One person said he's mounting in bitterness as he goes, as he's describing them. Verse 14, he says, it was about these men, and in verse 16, these, which is also masculine, these men, and then in verse 19, one more time, these ones are the ones who cause division. It's almost like he's raising his voice every time he hits that topic. These, 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 they're, as he describes them in their disgusting, damaging way. It's simple to say this. They are not welcome here. That's not the way you let somebody know, boy, we're glad you're here. When you're doing this kind of an approach. These ones, these ones, these ones, these ones. What I like is that he didn't say, and we are, and we are, and we are. I like that fact, but when I get to verse number 16, I start to see that it's very easy to put a we are in the front of a verse. It's very easy. I told you that these are the signs of the false teacher, and I really hate to say that there's elements of these things among us. Grumblers, five things, grumblers, fault finders. Arrogant speakers, flatterers of people, seeking the advantage. Five things. 
What really strikes my attention in verse 16, go, go over there with me, is simply in a little phrase, they are. These are. They are. You may say, well, what, what's that? That's no big deal. But it is kind of a big deal. We call that present tense uh, in the Greek tense. It's, it's the to be verb, which we use to identify somebody as to their character or to their existence. It speaks to the fact that they are, but also because it's a present tense, it carries with it the concept of a continuing, unchanging nature. These are and are and are and are and are. They are grumblers. They keep on being grumblers. They're grumblers today, they're grumblers tomorrow, and they're grumblers a week from today. They are grumblers. Not they were, or it was just a sample or so. They are, by their existence, they are grumblers. They are fault finders. They're fault finders today, and they're fault finders tomorrow, and they're fault finders a month from now. They are still fault finders. That's what they are. You see the picture? What the problem is, is that we, we do this, we think, well, this person's grumbling, this person's finding fault, this person's very discontent, and all these things. So, if we just give them what they want today, it will take care of the problem, won't it? Guess what they are tomorrow? They're still grumblers. And by giving in to them, realize you will never satisfy those who are made like this. You will never satisfy them. We think at times if they're arrogant, we could give in to them, let them have their way. It's solved. It's not so. They're always arrogant. And they will continue to be arrogant. We always say you grease the squeaky wheel, right? That's the one that gets the grease. In this setting, that's not the best thing to do. Because they're going to continue to squeak, no matter what. These words that you're reading in verse 16, and I'm just setting up the context literally for you, is that they're all in the present continuous sense. These ones are this way. And that's significant for us, in whether we're looking at participles, or we're looking at verbs, or we're looking at adjectives here, they're always, always following after their lusts. They're always flattering people. This is continuous of their nature. And the adjective, a grumbler, a fault finder, it fits into this context. Arrogant mouths that never stop is the picture. You know, it's hard enough to hear a mouth that's arrogant and you think, well, I've got to find that on-off button and turn that thing off. It's worse. When it never stops. I'm setting this for you on purpose. While we may occasionally be grumblers, I think sometimes we are, and occasionally we may be fault finders, or speaking arrogantly, or trying to flatter people, the Word of, of God and the Holy Spirit can confront us and convict us of that, can't it? And it does. Just right now, if you're a fault finder or an arrogant person or 
a grumbler, you're starting to feel a little conviction, aren't you? Maybe a touch to say, oh, I don't want to be like them. Because we need to be rerouted to the ways of Christ. The false teacher's characteristics do not stop. All right. That's what I'm trying to express to you as we start verse 16, is that that's the nature of these people. And I'm trying to say it clear enough, I hope. They do not stop. This is a constant, constant description of them. And it's striking. Because that's who they are, and it's certainly not what we ought to be. But the whole point is that they're false teachers. And guess what they want? They want you to learn it too. Psalm chapter 1. Do you know what the, the, the thing to be avoided there is? The person who walks in the way of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scoffer. Guess what he wants? He wants you to be there too. A whole room full of scoffers. Wouldn't that be fun? Everybody walking the way of the sinner. Everyone standing in the path of the sinner. That's what they want. That's what the false teacher wants to teach you. They want you to look like them. Make them feel comfortable. Why don't they change your course? Why, why don't they do something different? The reason that they're in this, they don't change your course. We hear a lot of this, but they're programmed, if you will. This world has programmed them too. They've grown up in this thing. And the world knows it. You know the world bombards us in their system with talking points, don't they? They tell us what to think. They tell us what to believe. They want us to say the same things. They want us to believe the same things. False teaching has the exact same strategy. It bombards you with false teaching. It's, it's their strategy. I'm not saying that evangelism is useless for them. The only way you can be saved is through Christ, right? No matter what. Whoever it is, there's no other way to be saved but through Jesus Christ. He is the one who has died for us because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So are the false teachers. We can't take them down a reformational process. And say, you know, if you, if you change your behavior, then maybe you can become saved. There's, there's no way for us to do that. Matter of fact, I've told you this before, but I've said it before you one more time. Jude never calls us to contend with the false teacher. He says to contend for the faith. For the faith. A quick look here at the words themselves that we're going to study here. You see it for yourself. Uh, I, I Really, if, if you see yourself in these words as I'm going through there, would you just stop while we're talking and just talk to the Lord about it? Don't just write a note and say, I'll get to that later. Because we, we need to not be like this. And yet, these are the ones that pop up on the page. And if I took the time, I could take you through all the other epistles and say, oh, we're prone to that too. So, I'm going to describe the false teacher 
in these words. And if they sound too familiar to you, like the person you might have seen in the mirror this morning, talk to the Lord about it right then, would you? Because we don't want to be like these. Let's talk about grumbling people. These are grumbling ones. It's an adjective to describe their gongosmos. Isn't that a great word? Gongosmos. You're trying to spell it. G-O-N-G-U-S-M-O-S. U-S-M-O-S. Gongosmos. The first word I see, gong. I remember that crazy show. Gong show. Remember that, some of us? That was so annoying. That gong was meant to be annoying. Somebody's up there. I think it might have been the precursor to the America's Got Talent idea or whatever. They don't put a soft, simple little buzzer sound to say, you know, we really don't like your act. It's the most horrific sound. It must be terrible to be in the middle of it and hear somebody hit a gong like that gong used to be. Some of you remember that thing. And it was a a shattering moment in your life to hear the gong. I think it's interesting, and the word for grumbling is that word gong. It's annoying. And that's the nature of this word. If you just keep saying it over and over and over again, somebody next to you will tell you to cut it out. Because it's not pleasant to keep going through a word like that. Grumble, 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 grumble. How many people like that sound? Not many. You know what's interesting when you define the word... This is even spoken in a low voice. What's interesting about that is this. They don't want you to hear it, but they do want you to hear it. Isn't that why we do it? I mean, generally, if, you, if you're not satisfied, you'll keep it to yourself, generally. We say, oh, just keep it quiet about this. But not these people. They want you to know that they're not satisfied. So they grumble. They speak in a low tone. Can you understand them? Usually not. And that's part of the trick too. Because then you have to stop and say, what is that? And you have to ask them. They're dissatisfied. They're discontent. They speak behind the scenes with a a loudness enough to be noticed, but a softness that you don't hear it. They murmur. They murmur. You know, murmuring hits the church once in a while. Secret talks, whisperings, discussions. Oh, it sounds so pious at times. We're supposed to be speaking the truth in love, right? This is a difference. This is a contrast. Grumbling's been around a long time. And I wonder, as the Lord sits up in his throne and looks down, if he's tired of it yet. Remember back in the days of Moses? There was a people there that Moses was leading that had a problem with grumbling. If you've ever read through the book of Numbers, you get the feel for it. It's like every other paragraph. It's like, oh, not again. And once you say that, then you know what Moses felt like every morning. He'd wake up and he'd say, oh, not again. Because there were two million of them. And they were good at it. And they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled. And because of that, they weren't even allowed to go into the promised land. 
not that generation, or just read you a couple of verses. It's from Numbers chapter 14, starts in verse 27, 28, and 29. This is the Lord saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. So say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men according to their complete number from 20-year-old and upward who have grumbled against me. Do you want to know the principal sin of those people? It was grumbling. The Lord says, how long should I bear with this? What were they saying under their breath as they walked, as they walked, as they walked? They were constantly saying, we were better off in Egypt. We had better food in Egypt. We had better homes in Egypt. Boy, why did the Lord send us out here? He just wanted to get rid of us. He wanted us to die in the wilderness. That's all he intended to do. The Lord says, okay, I heard you. Guess what you're going to do? Die in the wilderness, just like you've been grumbling. They, could you imagine walking 40 years with these people? Grumbling, 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 grumbling. And you think, well, they fixed it after they heard this. They corrected their course. They repented of their sin. They said, we won't grumble anymore. We'll be good now. Can we go into the promised land? Do you think that's the story? No, read the rest of the book. It didn't stop. It didn't stop. Onward, onward, onward. Grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. And you say, well, that's them. Oh, that's just them. We're not like that. Of course, now you feel bad if you're a grumbler. False teachers grumble. Look at what they complain about. They complain, they complain, they complain, they complain, they complain, they complain. There's a strategy behind that because they want you to be discontent too and buy whatever it is that they're trying to sell. TVs do that too. Commercials are set up that way to show you wherever you are, be dissatisfied with it because we got something better for you. It's just a strategy. This world is in. False teachers have bought it and they're using it. How does that build a church? How does that encourage the brothers in Christ? How does that build us up in the faith? Do you know what grumbling is? It's destructive. It's like the old drip that keeps working until it's eroded out the base, and then the whole structure falls. That's what grumbling leads to. It's not a minor thing. Interestingly, that this is the first thing said. And you say, well, okay, that was back in Numbers. But do you know in the Gospel of John, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. That's a pretty good thing. He had just walked on water. He just taught them all about that he is the bread of life. And yet when he gets to Jerusalem, it says this in John 7, verse 12. And there was much murmuring. That's the word for grumbling. Murmuring among the people concerning him. The whole temple was at buzz with this rah, 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 stuff. Would you like to go to church there? That's what it sounded like. You could probably hear it coming up. 
the road. I went to Niagara Falls many years ago. You're miles away and you can hear that sound. You can hear that thundering sound. You can almost feel it in your car as you're driving closer and closer to it. And I wonder as Jesus is walking toward that temple that day, if that's what he can hear. Murmur, murmur, that grumbling going on and on and on. That was part of the ministry he had to endure, that secret talk in the temple all the time. And you say, well, that's where it ended. No. In the book of Acts, the church started in Acts chapter 2, and it just began to grow, and people were coming to faith in Christ. They were part of the church body. And you get to chapter 6, and everything is at, like at a, a zenith point. It's really exciting what they're doing in the church. And suddenly it says in Acts 6 verse 1, In those days when a number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring among the Greeks and the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily service. It started grumbling, 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 grumbling in a church. I'd like to say that after that chapter, it was solved and it's no longer here. But you know better, don't you? You know better. It's not gone. There are still people who are grumblers. And they're still working. But who's at the head of the class? The false teacher. The false teacher is up there. And many learn from them. It makes everyone uncomfortable when grumbling has its way, folks. It's not pretty. I want to read to you what Spurgeon said in his commentary. Well, he didn't really write the commentary. This is what they did. They, they're producing commentaries by Spurgeon. But they're going through all of his sermons. There's a lot of sermons. There's like 30 volumes of sermons representing each a different year. And they're going through it and they're taking all of his quotes on particular verses and putting them together in commentary form. I think it's pretty, very useful, honestly. But Spurgeon, in the commentary that wears his name, says, These people are grumblers. They're discontented. You know the sort of people alluded to here. Nothing ever satisfies them. They are discontent even with the gospel. The bread of heaven must be cut into dice pieces and served on dainty napkins or else they cannot eat it. And very soon their soul loathes even this light bread. There is no way by which a Christian man can serve God so as to please them. They will pick holes in every preacher's coat. And if the great high priest himself were here, were here, they would find fault with the colors of the stones of his breastplate. That's what a grumbler does. They pick, they pick, they pick, they pick, they pick. You say, okay, let's not be that way. You don't want a leader that way either. And then they're fault finders. Fault finders. What's interesting is, they find faults, but they see none in themselves. Remember how Jesus explained that situation? Well, how do you help your brother who has a speck in his eye? You have to take something out of your own eye first, right? And he described it as a log. Here are people with logs in their eyes, and they see no flaws, only what's in yours. They complain about their allotted circumstance, their, their lot in life. That's what the word means. 
whatever they've been dished out, they are very, very upset that they have gotten that portion on their plate. They don't like it. They're discontent. They find fault. They find fault. They find fault. Somebody said it's a satirical comment that Jude has here in the way that these people have chosen a deviant lifestyle and then they complain that it's their unfortunate fate. They bought it. And they say, well, it's not my fault. Well, then whose is it? Don't we live in a world like this right now? Whose fault is it for everything? Everybody but me, right? It's everybody's fault, but it's not mine. People live by that code. They think really it gives them an advantage. Here's what it does. It belittles everybody else in the room so that you can look tall. You know what's the contrast to this? Jesus went down to the very lowest level to lift us up. These people push you down so they can stand up above you. There's quite a contrast in the picture. Blame everyone else so that you look innocent. Is that possible in a world like ours? Is it possible in a church? Yeah. Yeah. It's sad when it's in the church. It can be learned. And guess who's teaching that? false teachers. They're teaching people to act this way. It's habitual to them. I did go to a Bible college once. Uh, I was part of this. I was learning there. And I noticed it wasn't long that I was in that school that I noticed that their whole method that they were teaching future pastors was how to win an argument. Do you know how that goes over in a church? When the pastor knows everything and he's going to win every single time he talks to you? They went out of there looking for people to nail to the wall. That's what they did. Do you know how many churches were torn up? By pastors trained to tear people to ribbons? By the way, the school's not there anymore. I praise the Lord for that. It's not there anymore. And I think because the Lord says, what value are you? You're training my people to go out and tear into people's faults. Tear into them. Tear into them. False teachers would do that because they're habitual, you see. How, how much different would it look in a church if we owned up to the, our own faults? If we understood where we are and what we needed to work through. If we looked at ourselves and we saw the needs that need to be addressed, and without blaming anybody else for it, but we went to the Lord, and we matured. Would that sound healthy to you? I think so. You know, in a mature church, a fault-finding false teacher would be easy to spot. Because a mature church does not do this. He would stand out like that sore thumb we always say. He'd be different than everybody else. But the problem is, in an immature church, he looks like everybody else in the pew. That's the danger. That's why we need to mature, because these folks are destructive. These two things alone would tear up a church in no time at all. Fault finders and grumblers ruin relationships. 
They promote divisions. They bring out immaturity. They leave the church in an unhappy experience when they come together. They're discontent with every single thing that comes their way. Nothing seems to be right. And I'm going to guess you've seen it before. You probably have seen it before. I know I have. How much worse can it be if somebody was intentionally sowing those seeds among the congregation? That's the false teacher. You like the guy now? No, I hope not. You're probably saying, don't bring him our way. That's only two of them. Look at that clock. There's three more to go. I'm not going to keep plowing on with more descriptions right now. I'm just going to move us ahead just in a thought. Hang in there, just in a thought, where we're going, where we're going. If we're not growing in Christ and in our faith, then we're going to fall for this, folks. We're going to become this if we don't mature in our faith. If we're not building ourselves up, as verse number 20 says, in the most holy faith, we're going to fall for this. We're going to be grumblers. We're going to be fault finders. If we're not praying in the Holy Spirit, we're going to be fault finders. We're going to go around blaming other people. The fact is, you can't pray in the Holy Spirit and be a fault finder at the same time. You can't be building yourselves up in the faith and grumbling at the same time. Those are not compatible, and they never will be. We need to stay close to our Lord. Keep ourselves in the love of God, the verse says. Whose love ought to dominate this fellowship? His love. His love. What would that do to change all of us, if that were the case? Too many times we feed on discontentment. Too many times we learn how to grumble. Too many times we seek somebody else to blame. And all the while, all we're doing is circling around the drain, so to speak. And the ministries of the church take a hit. And the false teacher will take you there every single time. Every single time. That's a continuous nature of what they do. Show me a church, folks, honestly, where the people are grumbling, blaming each other, finding fault, and I will pr- point out a false teacher within a few minutes. And I'll say, There's a, there he is. <laughs> I knew he'd be in here. I knew he'd be in here. It all sounds hard. I know. Who said church life was easy? Did you find that verse? I can't find it yet. It's not easy. But we have a God who is able. Isn't that what this is all about? We have a God who is able to keep us from stumbling and to make us stand in His presence. Guess what? Blameless and with great joy. I love coming back to the last two verses because that's what we're anchoring all this on. We're learning all this, and I know it's tough at times, but it's supposed to drive us back to His throne every single time and say, Lord, protect us from becoming this. Protect us from those who do this so that we stay close to You, so that when we stand in Your presence someday, it's going to be with joy because we've seen You at work. And we want that more than anything in our fellowship, don't we? 
A God who is able to be dominant in this fellowship and changing us to be what we ought to be. Folks, I'm going to hang that right there and say, look at verse 16 this week. Go through that. And if there's something there that convicts you, please talk to the Lord about it. He's able to help. And He will. Heavenly Father, You know every one of us. Inside and out. There's nothing hidden from Your sight. And I thank You, Lord, for that. Even though it sounds so awesome and concerning. And even uh, very stark in the nature of it all. Yet, it's good to know that we have a God who knows us. And yet, one who loves us. And one who's at work in us. And one who will not quit working with us until we stand in His presence and we look like Christ. This fellowship is on a course to be like that. Each one of us, I pray, knows Jesus Christ as their Savior and they're walking this route right now to become more and more and more like Jesus. And how exciting it is to belong to such a thing. And yet, Lord, there are dangers out there. and There are dangers that work into our own little hearts where we become grumblers. We become fault finders. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as you set the mirror of the word against us right now, if there's anyone here with that kind of need to address, that they would know they could quickly walk into your presence right now and find help in their time of need. You change us, Lord, and you are changing us. And we thank you for your faithfulness in doing that. Thank you for giving us even the hard words. For that makes us look harder at ourselves and see that we need Christ. There's no doubt about it. Thank you for being so faithful, even in this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.